0: Well, it's good to see everybody here this morning. We were out of town this week, but I heard that it was uh, uh, very uh, Noah-ish-like around here. Uh, Brittany sent pictures from our road that was flooded out, and apparently it was so flooded the trash men didn't bother to show up. So we've got two weeks of trash now that uh, if anybody would like it, you're welcome to it. Be happy to be happy to give it away. We were very sad not to be here uh, Wednesday for the service for Sue Sloan. She meant so much to uh, this entire congregation and, and certainly our family, but uh, our hearts go out to Tony and, and the to Dude and the rest of the family. And and uh, we loved her very much, and we uh, certainly uh, will miss her. We have been in the uh, little letter that John wrote. We call it First John. and. And we've been doing this for several weeks now. We are coming towards the end. Now that doesn't, I'm not telling you when the end's going to be. But we're coming towards the end. And so we want to review because we want to make sure we haven't forgotten anything as we've gone along. So we remember that John tells us exactly why he wrote the book. He says, first of all, in chapter 1. And uh, yeah, verse 4, we write to make your or our joy complete. You know, John wanted the Christians to be joyful. John wanted them to have joy in their lives. Secondly, he says, I write to you that you do not sin. John, it was very important to John that they understand that how they lived their lives meant something. And so he says, I'm writing that you don't sin. And then in chapter 2, verse 26, I'm, he says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. And we talked in the beginning and throughout about these false teachers that were there. They were trying to th- teach things that were contrary to God's word, contrary to what John had been teaching them. And he wanted them to be aware that there will be false prophets. There were, there were those antichrists who were coming in among them and denying certain things that were important about Jesus. And then in chapter 5 and verse 13, he says, I write these things to you, believe in the name of the son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And so, you know, these four things that we talked about purposes, John says that doctrine matters. And we've talked about that. It does matter what you believe. Holiness matters. How you live your life does matter. You can't claim to have fellowship with God and live your life any way you want to. And then he talks about that love matters, love for God, love for each other. And he talks about God's love and it all starts with God's love for us. And we looked at those verses. And then in this last little bit, he talks about confidence matters. He wants his readers and us to be confident people, confident about our salvation, not kind of wishy-washy, not kind of knowing you know, not knowing he wants us to be confident because we're going to live such such more meaningful lives if we have that confidence. And so we've we've looked at all of that. And then uh, last week we talked about the fact where he said that our faith is our victory that has overcome the world. And I told you last week, those of you that were here, that, you know, I like to win. You know, I mentioned that. And this week, I spent some time with my dad and, and some friends, and, and, and we played golf. And I told you last week that even though it's all for fun, and even though, you know, nobody's really keeping score, we are keeping score, you know, and, and, and at the end of the day, we throw the scorecard away, and it doesn't matter who won, that there's just something deep inside of me that wants to win. God works in mysterious ways. We played three days. And all three days... I don't even know how this is possible. But all three days, me and my dad tied. And believe me, I checked the scores twice. I was like Santa Claus looking at his list. You know, I'm checking it twice... And three days in a row. So, you know, I won. But but John reminded us and told us that we are victorious. He doesn't say that the victory will be ours. He says that the victory is ours. We look at that verse in Romans where Paul says that we are more than conquerors. We are super conquerors. Not we're going to be. We already are. Our faith has already overcome the world. And so now I want to look at chapter 5, verses 6 through 15. John is beginning to to wind down. He's beginning to close out his letter. This is the one. Well, let's go back up to the very end of verse 5. Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but, not, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which He has given about His Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe, God has made him out to be a liar. Because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son does not have life. I write these things to you. This should sound familiar. Who believe in the name of the son of God. So that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have, that we have, what have, what we have asked of him. Somebody said, and I couldn't find a definitive answer to this, but I know I've heard it as a quote that knowledge is power. And that is true, isn't it not? You know, the more, the more knowledge we have, the more, the more control, the more power we have, and different things like that. And John is writing to us, and he wants us to know certain things. He wants us to have this knowledge. Because if we have this knowledge from God, if we have the knowledge from what God has done for us, then we are going to have the power to live extraordinary lives for him. We've talked about this before that John uses the word no knowledge or some form of that word thirty nine times in this short letter. I added them up real quickly just a minute ago, so my math may be off, but I've got one hundred and five verses. Now I know all of you are right now adding them up, but you know I came up with one hundred and five more or less verses in First John thirty nine times in one hundred and five verses. John uses the word no know or knowledge and we remember that this is this, this wasn't by accident this was on purpose because remember that some of those false teachers some of those antichrist were the ones that were called gnostics which is that greek word for no and they were the ones that were going around saying eh, you you christians you're okay don't worry you're okay but I've got a special knowledge. I've got access to knowledge that that you don't have. Yeah, you have a relationship with God, but my relationship is deeper. My relationship is stronger. I have a better understanding because something has been revealed to me that is not available to the rest of you. And so John comes along and in this little letter, he keeps saying over again, we know, we know, you know, you know, there is no special knowledge out there that, that isn't available to all of us. Now, is it true that some of us maybe have been studying longer and maybe know a little more about the Bible than maybe others? Yeah. Yeah. But is it because we've been granted special knowledge? No. All of us through study come to know God. All of us through our relationship with him come to know him. What we know is available to everybody. And John is just trying to let his readers know. You are not some kind of second class Christian. Because you don't have this special knowledge that these people over here claim to have. No you can know as everybody can know he wanted to instill in his readers a certain confidence in our faith that can see us through life in these final verses john uses several things to bolster our confidence the first thing he does is he talks about witnesses you know in a trial witnesses and testimony you know are kind of kind of important if i'm going to Sue you. I'm going to take you to court. And I have no witnesses. And I have no testimony. I am probably not going to win. Witnesses and the testimony of those witnesses are important. And it is up to the jury. To decide the validity. Or how much emphasis to place on that testimony. Whether the witnesses are credible. That's up to the jury to decide. And John is basically saying. You are the jury. I'm going to present the witnesses. I'm going to present the testimony. And then you decide whether it's credible or not. Now this is one of John's favorite kind of literary tools. Back in his gospel that he wrote. In John chapter 5. He records Jesus, as Jesus says, I come and I present my testimony. He says, I am making the claims that I am the son of God. I am, you know, and he says, but I know you're not gonna believe me. And he says basically, and you have a right not to believe me. Nobody believes the testimony of the person themselves, right? You know, I'm charged with murder. And I say, I didn't do it. And the cops and the district attorney said, okay. No, no that, that's not the way it works. And John, Jesus said in John chapter 5, okay, let me lay out some other witnesses. There is John, not this John, but the other John, John the Baptist. He testified about me. The father has testified about me. The works I do testify about me and all these other different there is the testimony now you decide what you're going to do with it John kind of does the same thing the first thing he says is the first testimony or the first witness is water and we may think what 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 does that What what's he talking about here and I'll be honest right up front several different possibilities several different ideas people thinking different things but i believe that it has to do with jesus baptism with the testimony that was given at jesus baptism you remember that john the baptist was baptizing and thousands were coming to john and they were all being baptized and john was baptizing in a baptism for repentance of the remission of sins and so you have this big crowd and I can imagine, you know, maybe John and I don't know, maybe his disciples were baptizing. and I don't know what, it, you know, if they were all waiting for John to do it or whatever. And you kind of get the idea that there was this big crowd and they were all coming to be baptized and John baptized them. And all of a sudden he looks up and there's Jesus, the son of God, the lamb of God that John had already testi- testified to there's Jesus. And John says, whoa, 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 whoa. Something's wrong with this picture. John says, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, we need to do this so that we can fulfill all righteousness. But you see, even John knew and John recognized that there were of all the hundreds or thousands of baptisms that John had done. John knew there was something different about this one. This one was unique. This one was different from all the others. And so John baptizes Jesus. And then the voice of God speaks. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You see, it wasn't technically that the water was testifying. But that God the father was testifying. This is my son. It was, the baptism itself was a sign of obedience of the son. John had been baptizing, but this one was different. God Himself declared Jesus to be His Son. Why? For His confidence? To bolster Jesus? No. It was for the others, it was a testimony, it was a witness from the Father. That Jesus is whom he's about to claim to be. Hundreds, thousands of baptisms. Voice from heaven hadn't come down. Nothing like that. And the spirit descended like a dove too. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. But all of that happening was a witness. And John says the water at the baptism is a witness to Jesus being the son of God. Just as at baptism, we are declared to be the children of God. Now the voice doesn't boom down. But we do receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But I, just as Jesus, the Father declared Jesus to be the Son of God at the baptism, he was already the Son of God, but he was making the public announcement, the public notification. When we are baptized, we are declared to be the children of God. Through the love, what does John say? that God has lavished on us. We are the children of God. it's okay, if the water isn't witness enough, then there's the blood. The blood, I believe, testifies to the uh, testimony that we find at the cross. And you remember all the things that happened around the cross. And all the the ways and the times that, that the blood was spilt at the cross. You go all the way back before the actual crucifixion to when Jesus was arrested. It says that they beat him. You think there was any blood involved in that beating? I don't think this was just a little, you know, punch on the arm. They were beating him. It was blood involved. And then they placed that crown of thorns. And they pressed it on his head. And you can be assured that there was blood that was dripping down from Jesus. Jesus. And then they take Him to the place to crucify Him. And they lay Him on that cross. And they outstretch His arms. And they nail His hands to the cross. And His feet, likewise. Blood was there. And then in kind of an interesting twist of fate but a fulfillment of prophecy. It was getting to be late on Friday afternoon. It was beginning to be close to the Sabbath. And so they wanted the criminals to die quickly. And in order for them to die quickly, they would go around and they would break the bones in their legs. Because when you were crucified, the only way you could catch a breath was trying to kind of push up. And catch your breath. But if they broke your legs you wouldn't be able to do that. And you would suffocate quicker. And so they did that to the two criminals that were crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus he was already dead. And so instead of breaking his bones. And Psalm prophesied that there would be no breaking of the bones. Which would have been a normal thing in crucifixion. But not this one. That they took the spear and they stuck it in his side and out poured blood and water. The blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews talks about the fact that the blood of bulls and goats could never fulfill the requirement for our forgiveness of sins. But only the blood of the perfect lamb, Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that we are redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. We go all the way back to the Passover of the children children of Israel in Egypt. And how on that last night God said to sacrifice that sheep and that goat, that lamb. And to take that blood and to put it on the outside of the doorpost. And that would be a sign to God. And the death would pass over so that the ones that had the blood sprinkled would be saved. We are the same. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sin. And just as John had baptized hundreds or thousands, but Jesus' baptism was different. The Jews and the Romans had seen and participated in hundreds if not thousands of crucifixions. But this one was different. Not the fact that Jesus was already dead and they didn't have to break his bones. That may have happened other times as well. But just as the father testified at the baptism, the father testified at Jesus' death. There was that mysterious darkness that covered the land. There was the earthquake that trembled. There was the veil of the temple being torn in two. There were graves being opened and dead bodies rising. I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of crucifixions the Romans had done, but they had never seen anything like that. This was different. This was unique. So much so that the Roman centurion said, surely, this is the son of God. A man who probably had seen death over and over and over again. He'd probably become numb to the fact of putting uh, nails in people's hands. Numb to the fact of watching them suffocate and die. All of that was just a job to him. He'd seen it over and over and over and over again. But something was different. On that day, God, the father was testifying that this is my son. He has come to do what needed to be done. And that blood that is dripping from the cross, that blood is what is going to redeem you. That blood is your salvation. And that blood is our salvation as well. And then John goes on and says, there's a third witness. And that is the Spirit. The Spirit coming down at, on Jesus or coming down at Jesus' baptism testified. The Spirit testified through the apostles like on Pentecost. The Spirit continues to testify through the word of the inspired writer. The Spirit continues to testify today as He lives within us. Not only witness or testimony, but the miracles... The teachings, the life of Jesus and the power he displayed. Testify also. All these are witnesses and testify that Jesus is the son of God. Remember, all throughout here, John has been saying. Our faith, our victory, everything has to do with our belief in Jesus as the son of God. Remember, those false teachers, some of them are saying he wasn't really the son of God. He was a, And they went one of two ways. He was either a man, but he wasn't God, or he was God, and he wasn't a man. And John is saying he was the Son of God. And anybody who doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God is a liar. A liar. And so he wants to drive that home to us. Do we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? We do. And that gives us confidence. That faith gives us the victory that overcomes the world. If we believe, and and let me even go beyond that not believe, know, we know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, we've overcome the world. Our relationship, our fellowship with God through Jesus Christ, we can conquer anything. We can go through any storms that come our way. We can handle any problems that come into our lives. Because we know that Jesus Christ is the son of God. He also talks about the fact that our faith is our confidence. We rely on faith to exist, do we not? I I do not understand people who condemn Christians. Because they believe that Christianity is simply based on faith. They, they knock faith. You know, faith, faith. I'm not, I don't, I don't believe in faith. I want evidence. I want sight. I want all these, you know. Uh, I don't believe. We live our lives based on faith. You can't get up in the morning if you don't have faith in something. You go to work having faith that your employer is going to give you a check. We believe we have faith in the in the uh, uh, laws of nature. We believe and have faith in gravity, do we not? We live our lives based on that fact. You know, I think about uh, the, the astronauts. They go up into faith. Go up into faith. Well, they go up into space with faith, but anyway. You know, they go up there and they live their lives knowing that there is no gravity, right? They're tethered as they go about and, and, you know, they have to do things totally different because there's no gravity up there. You don't think about that when you get out of bed in the morning, do you? When you get out of bed in the morning, you're not worried that you're going to fly up and hit your head on the ceiling. You have faith in gravity. We have faith in physics. We have faith in engineering. You get in your car every day and you just assume that whoever built that car built it right. And that everybody else's car is built right. And that it's all going to, we have that kind of faith. We live our lives by faith. And we have faith in education and doctors and accountants, lawyers. We put people, we put faith in people or things because of our experience with them. For their experience and knowledge. I've told you before, I fly because I have to. I don't like it. And uh, we were coming home yesterday. We were leaving Charlotte, North Carolina, and we were flying back to Shreveport. And we're on the plane. It's not one of them big planes, it's one of them little, not little bitty, but you know, two on one side, two on another, and not very long, you know. And so we're sitting there, and Kenny and I look up, and everybody else kind of looks up. And the paneling in the middle of the aisle, the roof, came loose. Now, we were sitting next to a flight attendant who was deadheading. You know, was an American flight attendant, but wasn't working, but was just flying to Shreveport. And his first reaction was my first reaction. We're going to be here forever. And the flight attendant tried to get it back up into place. Couldn't get it back up. Another flight attendant came along and put it back up. And Kenya's going, Get some super glue. Get some super glue. (laughs) Duct tape. Anybody got any duct tape? Because you know what's going to happen. They're going to have to call engineering, and it's going to take, you know, forever to get that plane okay. So they go up front to the pilot, to the captain and they bring the captain back and the captain comes back and he of course he was a little taller than the flight attendant too which helped but he reached up there and he put it and then he did exactly what I would have done whack and it went back into place and he starts going back and I'm like that's why he's the pilot that's why he's the pilot I have no idea what his name was. Now, they came on and said who he was. You know, they always do. You know, this flight is piloted by and the, you know, the first officer. I don't remember his name. I have no idea who he was. But I had faith. I had faith that he was going to get us up off the ground and get us back down on the ground safely. Why? Because I had faith in his experience. I had faith in his Not mine. I had faith in the fact that somebody licensed him to fly that plane. I don't, you know, somebody. That he'd been doing it lots. Hope. Don't want to be the first one. You know? We're we're at Disney. Something you don't think about. But you know, Disney has a million, million buses that drive around that place. All kinds of of different buses. And every now and then, Pass a bus that had on the marquee on the outside earning my ears. That meant that it was a a driver in training. Yeah, when I when I saw that bus coming toward me, I went the other way. You know, I scooted as far over as I could. I didn't want him earning his ears at my expense or her. But put faith in other people's knowledge, in their experience or our experience with them. Jesus reminds us that our faith is in, John reminds us that our faith is in Jesus, the Son of God. Not in ourselves, not in what others believe. But our confidence comes through a relationship and a fellowship with Jesus Christ. Through him we are joint heirs. Through him we receive eternal life. Through him we confidently approach the Father in prayer. Isn't that very similar to what the writer of Hebrews says when we approach the throne of grace boldly and with confidence? Jesus told his disciples the same thing. Whatever you ask in my name will be given to you. And when we read those verses, does that give anybody else a little pause? Anybody else ever get frustrated in your prayer life? Anybody else ever get confused in your prayer life? Well, John says, and James says, and Jesus said, and the writer of Hebrews says, whatever we ask, God is going to give us. Well, it's not technically what he says, but it's pretty close. It makes us wonder, well, now, wait a minute. I prayed for this and didn't get it. I prayed for that and it didn't happen. So what's going on here? Well, John, I think, is talking about that it is not necessarily a blanket statement. You can't just take it out of context and say, you know, whatever you want, you pray, God will give it to you. Now, I have biblical proof. That's not true. Right? Paul says himself, I prayed three times. Now, if God's going to answer anybody's prayer, it ought to be Paul, right? I prayed three times that this thorn in the flesh would be taken away from me, and God said, uh uh-uh. My grace is sufficient for you. Those of you old enough, been around long enough, and remember back far enough, Norman told us over and over again, God gives us either what we ask for or something better. Either give, now, sometimes we don't appreciate the something better part. Garth Brooks had a song years ago. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. How many of us in our lives can look back on things that we prayed for and it didn't turn out the way that we wanted it. But now we realize that was the better thing. That was the better thing. Sometimes God answers our prayers differently than what we wanted for, but still what's best for our lives. Have you ever thought about this? What about competing prayers? Have you ever... What does God do with that? Let's just say, for instance, one of our, our members is sick. And some of us are praying, we want them to get better. And others of us are praying, Lord, they're ready, just take them on to be with you. What, is God tallying up the yeas and nays? No. Have you ever been conflicted in your own prayer life? Competed in your own prayer life? Yeah. Last week, thinking about Sue, there was a part of me that was praying, Oh God, I want her to get better. Lord, I want her to get better. I want to be able to spend more time with her. I, I, I want to enjoy her, the relationship that we have. I want that. I'm not ready for her to go. But then there was another part of my own prayer life. that was saying, I don't want to see her like this anymore. I don't want her to suffer anymore. I know she's ready. Take her to be with you. And I think that's what is said when the Bible tells us that sometimes that the spirit intercedes for us, even when we don't want to pray, we don't know what to pray for. When we're conflicted, Paul was like that in the book of Philippians. What did he say? I don't know what to pray for. On the one hand, I'm ready to die and be with the Lord. On the other hand, I think God still has a use for me here. So I'm confused. I don't know what to pray for. The spirit intercedes and God works as his best in our lives. It is our faith that helps us to know that God will always do what is best for us. It may not seem like it at the time. And it may be waiting from time to time. Faith, knowledge, confidence. God wants us to, or John wants us to know. That we have eternal life. There's the testimony and the witness of the father at baptism. And the father at the crucifixion. Where there's the blood involved. And the testimony and witness of the spirit. And our faith gives us confidence. Now. Next week or week after next. We're going to talk about. As we kind of wrap this all up. We've talked about our confidence. But we haven't really talked about what is our confidence in. We've hit on it. But that's the way we'll wrap it up. If you're here this morning and there's some way we can help or encourage you, we invite you to come now as we stand and sing.
1: We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's d-f-i-e-l-d-c-o-c-dot-o-r-g. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area... We would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.